The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. It is a deceleration of life. It's going back to what is old is new again. The idea that we look to our wrist, we see something beautiful, something we enjoy, and it also serves a purpose. The voice you heard at the top of the show is Scott Meller. He's the president and a fourth-generation family member at Feldmar Watch Company out in Los Angeles. He's here to talk to us about the status and future of retail luxury watch businesses. But first, me, Bill McCuddy. I'm wearing a watch together with culture writer Scott Alexander and cool hunting editor David Graver. Gentlemen, brick and mortar. We're going to hear about it from uh, someone on the West Coast, but... uh, It's the hot new thing all the kids are into. (laughs) You think millennials, David, really do want to walk into a store and feel and touch something? Because we've heard so much about how they buy everything online. I definitely do. And actually, I'm curious, have either of you ever purchased a watch without trying it on or without touching it in advance? No. Same. Yeah, I have. But but they've been vintage pieces that I knew, you know, I know what a 36 millimeter Rolex, blah, 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 looks and feels like. And so, yes, but... I, I take your point. I mean, most people I want to be see in the store. I want to see it on my wrist. I want to even walk around with it for a minute. Either. I agree. All of the details do matter. And I think with a lot of other brands and less expensive items, people can buy 13 sweaters, try on three and send the rest back. You can't buy 13 watches, try them on and send 12 back. You really need to have that experience. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Some people can, and they're annoying. Uh, <laughs> no, you're right. And I think that there's, I think even a couple of sites have apps where you can put your wrist in front of your camera and it'll show you what the, what the watch looks like. Oh on yeah, it. I that just think, makes it yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's just on. like wearing come, a watch. Yeah, come on. No, it's I not. mean, that's gotta be, uh, that, there's no comparison and it doesn't, it's, it is something you have to walk into a store. You want to talk to somebody that knows something about it and get, their feedback on whether this is better than that and why I need this and I don't need that. I think it's also important that buying a watch, it's not like buying an electronic. It's not like grabbing a new phone. It's something that you want to keep for decades or even pass on to a next generation. And that's something you definitely want to see in person. It's something that you want to analyze, not just about the way it feels on your wrist, but the way it feels as an accessory to your life moving forward. These are not disposable things. Even these things we pay $600, $800 for a phone, but we know we're getting rid of it in two or three years. Oh, great. I'm going to leave mine to my daughter. God, is she going to be pissed? (laughs) Your phone, yeah. (laughs) And this store in particular, too, it's not just a brick-and-mortar store. It's a brick-and-mortar store in Hollywood. Yeah. And and that's a huge part of their story, right? They had movie stars walking in there. They had people working behind the scenes in the business walking in there. They started out in stopwatches, I think. Yeah. And they're on Pico about... I would say less than a mile away from the 20th Century Fox lot, which right. is where tons of stuff was produced. Yeah, send Jimmy down for another stopwatch. <laughs> this one broke. You know, I mean, that's I've, great. It's amazing. My watch buying habits are tremendously influenced by Hollywood. I've seen an actor wearing a watch, and then I've sought that watch out. I'm oh, not well, embarrassed to say that. This does not shock me. This is called product placement in this day and age, but there was a time, I'll bet, and we'll ask him about it, when uh, the studio would just, as you said, send somebody into the store to get them to buy something for Humphrey Bogart or uh, Steve McQueen or whoever, the mo- whatever the movie and is. And then that becomes an iconic 
piece yeah, that yeah. Uh, people like David need to perfect need must to, have. <laughs> the Paul Newman Rolex is a perfect example. That's they right. say he wore that in the movie Winning, and that was just something he had on his wrist when they made the film. Suddenly, it's on the poster, and then the Italian, and then Japanese, and and all the markets collecting went crazy for it. So now we have like the James Bond movie, which will be out shortly, eventually, uh, and that's got an Omega affiliation. It had Rolex in the very beginning, but now it's a the, he wears Omega watches. Uh, and there's actually a No Time to Die official Omega watch, uh, limited edition. So we're going to learn about whether or not famous names come strolling into Feldmars. I'm sure they do. Uh, whether they're even open during uh, COVID, I believe they are. The website says they are by appointment. And something else the website has that uh, is kind of interesting is a big vintage area. And, you know, that's a market that's exploded in the last 20 years. So and doing very well right now. Auction houses are recording uh, top sales. 80 to 90% of the catalog is selling. But this is the other great thing about brick and mortar. This is a store that has gone way, way, way down this one little rabbit hole. And that is the beautiful thing. If you ever go to Tokyo or, or these these great, or even Paris, there's these little bookshops. There's these little right. stores that specialize in this one thing. And you and they have everything. of they, they take that one thing and make it a prism to view the world through. Just bulbs. Do you have shades? <laughs> no, just bulbs. Just bulbs. Yeah. yeah. I think. <laughs> Uh, I, and I, I know actually that they don't sell jewelry. They don't sell, all they do is watches. And part and of it is a conversation. You're going in there to talk to a person. You're not going in there to see the merchandise. You are going to see the merchandise, but you're also going for a conversation. You can't have a conversation with a website. Exactly. Even though there are sites now like Houdinki and that cover it very well, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing is better than seeing it on your wrist. Right. But a conversation is how you think in a lot of ways. It's it's hard to get your thoughts out of your head without saying them. And then someone else reacts and then you react. And then you realize what you actually think and what you actually feel and what you actually want. And you're going into a place that sells only one thing and doesn't, you know, like when you walk into Best Buy and the computer guy has no idea what the right. the stereo guy does. And, the, and the, this is- Well, the computer guy has no idea what the computers do either <laughs> right. in Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. I think having been in business for as many years as felt, what, it's since the early 1900s? 1913. 1913. Oh, when, you, when you could get a sundial on a wrist. <laughs> uh, hold the, still, hold still. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, I think they've been doing it long enough that they should know. So we will uh, discuss all of that with our guest, Scott Meller, on the Accutron Show right after this. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Scott, you're sitting in a brick and mortar store in Southern California and you're selling watches. How's that going during the pandemic? Yeah, it's definitely interesting and uh, quite different. We're um, offering a curbside service, and then we're accepting appointments for in-store visits. So it's a little different than just having regular operations. Are the employees on roller skates, and there's a tray involved, and they come out to the street, or how does it work? <laughs> yeah, you know, you feel like you're on roller skates for sure. There's a lot of running around because we're obviously heading outdoors, taking stuff back to the technicians, just a lot of running around. It's, it's definitely, I mean, we're doing shortened hours. Uh, because you're tired at the end of the day. It's okay. a lot of work. And are people buying watches in this environment? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. I mean, our business is actually, um, you know, for everything going on, it's actually pretty, pretty good. Can you We're tell okay. us a little bit about what the LA watch market is like? Who's shopping? Is, is Hollywood there too? Yeah. I mean, we do work with Hollywood. Um, and that, that kind of goes back historically for us when 
Um, our business was founded on actually stopwatches and timers. Uh, we were more of a technical firm with my grandfather and great-grandfather specializing in the beginning in service and then sales. And so what that did for us was as industry needed various devices, we became known within the industry. And then those people in the industry started buying watches as we started selling them. So you know, we we feel like stopwatches is a really negative term, though, Scott. We prefer start watches. <laughs> yes, that's right. We need, yeah, absolutely. So, but did yeah, Bo- so, we, did- um, so we work with Hollywood and with all the sporting teams and anything that required to know how long something took. Oh. So would Steve McQueen wander in for a stopwatch and then maybe a, a tag or so any of the... You've actually hit the nail on the head. There's a great story behind that. Really? Um, yeah. I actually, get lucky every tag, now and then. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, a broken Hoyer, clock. Yeah. The Tag Monaco, which was um, a watch created by Hoyer, the original Hoyer, and Jack Hoyer was selling it at the time. And um, Jack Hoyer learned that one of the ways to build his brand was to get his watch on the wrist of a celebrity or have it be used in film or something of that nature. And so as we used to sell the Hoyer stopwatches and eventually the wristwatches, Jack called my grandfather, um, Barney Feldmar, and he asked him for a contact for a property master who could help him with that. My grandfather put him in touch with a property master and the property master that he connected him with is the connection that put the Monaco on Steve McQueen's wrist and led to it being one of the most famous watches being sold today. Property manager, we should tell people who don't know, is the props department that actually puts the things on the set and on the, the actors themselves. So uh, that, was the, that was the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it's, a, it's a classic story and one that actually Jack retells. We have a, a video during a recent, there was an auction. As watches become, have become more popular, there's a lot of auction of the vintage watches and stuff going on. And there was a specialty auction done with vintage Hoyers. And so Jack, leading up to that auction, was interviewed. And, and he actually, during that interview, told that specific story and mentioned his interaction with my grandfather. He said, I called Feldmar in Hollywood and I asked him to connect me with a property master and so on and so forth. <laughs> Such a Hollywood story. Get Feldmar yeah. on the phone now. We need there it right here. Yeah, that's great. I mean, from 1913 to today, you must have, your organization must have witnessed a tremendous boom and major developments in the watch world from, from the outside, from the inside. Like, uh, what's the most, what are some memorable developments over the years for, for Felmar? Well, in, in recent years, we did a big renovation. Um, in 2013, we completed it. And uh, that kind of set the stage for the future. But looking back, actually becoming, being appointed as the official Accutron Center for Los Angeles, probably one of the more major milestones. No, you're just saying that because this is the Accutron (laughs) show. No, no, no. I mean, you know, honestly, the, 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 the Accutron being one of the most important watches in that time made Feldmar a destination for wristwatches kind of as we were transferring from just being more of a stopwatch and timer specialty into selling wristwatches. That was right around when that happened, and it really made Feldmar a destination for folks that wanted, uh, you know, the accuracy and all the, uh, what goes along with, you know, what was unique about that timepiece at the time. I mean, it was state-of-the-art. It was, uh, you know, amazing. So uh, that, that's a milestone. And yes, of course, I mean, the changes over the years. Uh, watches, you know, today, look, we don't really need a timepiece to tell us the time. We can find the time in a lot of places that are devices that we carry on us you know, every day can give us the time, but there's so much more to it, you know, and that is what really resonates with people today is the unique component, the 
technical aspects, the design elements. I mean, it's really something that people can get behind from a lot of various points of view and enjoy today. And that's, that's really what, what is actually fun and what has spurned the growth. Segwaying through that, like, what's the role of brick and mortar in the watch world today? I think brick and mortar still has a place because certain things you can obviously get away with selling online, you know, if you know what it is and you need it and it's just a, you know, whatever it might be, you just order it and you get it and you move on. But the watch, it's it, you have a much deeper connection. There's a fit and finish. That's one thing. The feel, um, the emotional connection, the research that you've done. These are things you need to see. You need to hold it. You need to feel it. Um, and the dimensions, the differences of what makes something desirable to one person or not desirable is such a small aspect. It could be one millimeter in case sign size that the customer puts the watch on the wrist and decides it's a little too small the way it looks or it reads a little bit too big. And you can't do that online. You can't do that from a distance. Yeah, and that's where it that's right. Size, shape, weight, it's also important to actually feel in your hand. I'm curious, yeah. now that the sort of core functionality of, of watches, of telling the time, you know, we all kind of know what time it is from the thing in our pocket. Is there any market still in vintage stopwatches? Are, are people using those? Oh, yeah. Is that a, a category? Is that a thing? So not as much anymore. I mean, the timing component has gone away a little bit in that when we were selling, let's say, stopwatches for film, right? You had the camera and then you had the, the stopwatch for the timing component. But today, the timing component would be built right into the camera. In other words, the camera will have, as you're looking through the viewfinder, you will see the amount of time that has elapsed. You can have anything. I mean, these cameras are essentially computers, right? And so you really don't have the need for that. In fact, one of our biggest customer bases were script supervisors, and they would have to have their silent stopwatch that they basically couldn't perform their job without it. And we really don't see many come through the door anymore. I mean, it's a really a rare thing. And there was a time when, I mean, it was many, many times per day. And now it's <laughs> right. not really happening. So Scott's um, right, though. It may be a category that someday we'll see in Christie's or, or uh, Sotheby's is like a, a stopwatch sale. Who knows? Or the stopwatch used to time or right, you know, yeah, Citizen Kane or, or whatever. Yeah, it was. yeah or the Ben-Hur chariot race. <laughs> well, what about the 60-minute stopwatch? I mean, that one right there is pretty famous. They bought that there? So, you know, I've done some research <laughs> wanting to find out that story because there are some rumors. There's some not that one. There were a few over the years. I tried to ask my grandparents for, you know, um, they moved on and uh, get some clarity to that story. And I never quite got it. So I won't make that claim. But. But it's possible. Some we'll connection. make it for we you. Fix them. Okay, fine. Go for it. <laughs> You've seen a Feltmar watch every Sunday night for the last 50 years, uh, America. Go. Listen, um, I, I'm interested in what uh, Feltmar watches we've seen on screen. Like, is there is are there any in the movies that... Uh, that yeah, you know, it goes back. So currently, because of the power of film and the power of celebrity... To be honest, the brands really work directly with the studios whenever there's an opportunity to put a watch uh, into film. Omega with James Bond or uh, yeah. some of the, yeah. And even just to, even that is a much bigger partnership, but even just to outfit a particular um, actor or actress with a timepiece, they'll provide it directly from the studio. But there was a time when that wasn't the case and that the property masters would come here they would come in and say, we're doing this type of film. This is the costume. This is what the 
costume designer has requested, and we would essentially shop with the property master to find the right piece or a selection that they would take to the set, and then the, either the, the costume designer or the actor or actress would pick out the piece, and they would use it. And sometimes we had to customize pieces for a particular use, or we had to remove the brand name for rights purposes or different things, so they would have to buy the watch, then we would take it apart and do whatever we had to do and then get it ready for, for film. <laughs> That's amazing that like you'd have to scrape the name Rolex off a watch because maybe <laughs> they didn't want it. Uh, and then would they sometimes return them? Was it loan or Rolex own? Rolex doesn't always want to be in hot tub time machine. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could. I mean, if you didn't, if you didn't um, have to manipulate it, then you could. Yeah, we would rent them. But if it had to be manipulated, then it wasn't coming back. Scott, uh, we think of watches, you know, they, they were such a huge part of men's fashion and men's lives for a long time. And now they're kind of making this resurgence in a different sort of form. How do you see the new aesthetics of, of watches going forward? What are people buying today? So like anything else, it's so varied and so wide. Um, there isn't really one arena that is moving more than another. I mean, there is a collector base that is very much into vintage. So mm -hmm. that's seeing a resurgence, pieces that were kind of cast off or forgotten about all of a sudden just become very much in demand, almost like an old car that, uh, or a series of car, a particular year, a particular make where there was very few made. And then all of a sudden people start to get interested in it. And then it just becomes sure. unfindable, untouchable. And we're seeing that a lot in our industry. Pieces that were kind of cast off, that were somewhat unimportant, have then now become important again uh, because people want to talk about them. People want to learn about them. People find interesting facts about them and then find renewed value in them. So that's a thing. So a story, and having a story to tell about the, the thing you're putting on your wrist. Is that that's a big piece because, of it? Yeah, because in the end, when something has a story, that's what resonates with people. And uh, so the more you can have, especially pieces with provenance where they have original paperwork or they have a backstory to them, where the boxes, papers maybe were put in a vault together in a box and the watch wasn't used, uh, set in a safe deposit box for years and years and years and then pulled out and it's in pristine condition, but 50 or 70 years old, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's super cool. And when people find stuff like that, they go crazy for it because it's so unique and so different and not something you can replicate because it, it just has 70 years, however many years of age on it. Well, I, let me just ask about your, you have a vintage division at Feldmar.com. So how long ago did that happen? Did you always sell vintage or is that something no, you just added? No, no, Yeah. So um, trading in, trading of watches and selling pre-owned watches really became mainstream, I would say, within the last 10 years. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, we've been doing it, I would say for about that long. Um, and it's, it's as big or possibly bigger than the new watch market. I think it will eclipse the new watch market if it hasn't already on a global level. Scott, you're a fourth generation family member at this yeah. company. Do, when did you know you were going to join and be a part of the organization? Was there pressure or did you always just want to be a part of it? No, no pressure whatsoever. Right out of high school. I always loved business. Just basically just being in business, uh, working with people is we, we have, you know, incredible, I mean, the world walks through our doors. It's so interesting. All the different people we meet, different walks of life, different industries, different everything. And so, um, it attracted me from the beginning. I used to, as a child, um, come to the store, uh, and visit either my, my grandparents or my father or 
come on a Saturday to work with my father when I wasn't in school or things like that, or do summer um, hours. And so it was just kind of, I guess, you know, it runs in the blood, I guess. Your family. But I is, never really thought to do anything else. And they've had a huge presence there. And obviously that's false to you now because uh, yeah. you're the you're the Feldmar in charge. Those are some big risks to fill or some big shoes, I guess, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, I, I definitely uh, work very, very hard to um, uphold the family name. I think that that is something that is as important or maybe even more important than, than the business itself is is just to do right by my great-grandfather and my grandparents and then my father. Don't screw this up. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's challenging right now. I'm fascinated to hear that, that sales are, are doing pretty well in this COVID environment. Yeah, I well, had read hey, that. I mean, yeah, it's definitely challenging. Uh, it's definitely different. Um, you know, it's not all roses. Um, there's that chicken and egg problem. There. People don't, people need to watch. They don't know what time to come in for their appointment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Scott, because Feldmar's history is so important to Accutron and they're so interwoven, do you happen to have a first memory of an Accutron watch? You know, the Accutron watch was pretty much its heyday was even before I was born. So for me, the first memories are really seeing them come in for service um, and people telling stories of, I bought this way back when, and it was my father's and he left it for me and it means a lot to me and I want to repair it. Can you do that? And of course we did and we, we still do. And one of the things that's awesome is to know a little insider is uh, I think they're working on ways to currently to um, repair some of the vintage models that have become unrepairable. So that's kind of an exciting hope Indeed. And we're waiting for that to happen well speaking of waiting to happen there's going to be a relaunch and uh, yes. I, yeah <laughs> i wonder uh how you think that's going to do uh and you can be blunt i mean we'll we can take it so uh you know it's it's a very strange time to introduce a new brand uh or reintroduce a brand and uh you know you mentioned that you guys were one of the first 60 years ago and here comes the new accutron i know you've seen it uh Will it appeal to collectors? Will it be only the people who knew the brand before? Or do you think it'll find a, a new audience? It already found. We're already seeing a demand for the product. We've taken pre-orders for the new Electrostat watch. It is resonating with people who are familiar with it, as well as people with whom it is new or previously unknown, uh, the history. But it is definitely going to be a success, at least that special edition that resonates resonates how funny the tuning fork uh, <laughs> that resonates with with folks that watch is going to be a hit it already is a hit um the question will be like anything else is how to perpetuate the success right and brands what i'm seeing right now with brands that are being active they're being successful brands that are sitting on their hands during these challenging times and don't know what to do are not and here you have a company that is going forward, moving forward, doing great things. And you can still have success at a time like this if you are doing things that attract people that are interesting. And you know what? People need distraction right now. People are hungry for something to take their mind off of the challenges of life right now. And this is perfect. So if you're out there and you have a good story to tell and you have an interesting product and you have something unique, 
you can still be successful. I well, think that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> it's trying to be. <laughs> Speaking of great stories, obviously, you know that the uh, the Accutron, at least the Space View, was uh, kind of an accident. I mean, it walked into stores like your yours and your great grandfather's, and uh, they it was a salesman sample that just didn't have a dial on it, and that's what everybody wanted. So it's it, it's kind of fun to think that that walked into your store uh, sixty years ago. And we'll rejoin it uh, any day now. Isn't that great? Yeah. And sometimes, you know what? You need a little bit of luck. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Everyone needs a little. Never hurt anybody, you know? <laughs> Scott, what advice would you give to a consumer looking to buy their first ever watch? The advice that I would give would be simply to enjoy the process. It can be a lot of fun. There's a ton of information out in the world, like anything. And it's hard to take it all in. but a little bit of research will definitely help you find a direction that is of interest to you and then an in-store visit. Right. Go in-store. That's probably the number yeah. one. Also, you go to Feldmar and spend as much money as you can. Well, <laughs> yes, that's my personal opinion. But um, but you got to go in. You got to try the stuff on. You got to see it in real life because it's spectacular. I mean, it's, it's small. And so there's details. And the details, right. um, you know, the devil's always in the details. And... Uh, well, and it's and, and 3D. You want to be able to move it around. You know, you, like looking you got, at a website, you, you only yeah. see so much. Right. Hey, I mean, if, we'll even we'll even send customers outside our store with the watch on their wrist because sometimes just in the natural light, sure, it looks a little different. And if they're debating on dial color or reflection of some sort that they might be concerned about, these or, are things that or, you would just never translate. Or uh, jumping into that waiting car. Uh, well, there's that too, yeah. <laughs> but, but there's something about the analog nature of a watch, even though it's an electronic watch, you know, there's something about that physical nature. We, we're living our lives so digitally these days and so yeah. sort of, uh, you know, in the abstract that this is a very concrete thing you can, you can well, actually and put that in is, life. That is true about watches in general. And I'll never forget, actually, I went to a presentation many, many years ago. It was actually on a, uh, a pen, Mont Blanc pens. And it was, it's basically kind of where the watch industry is today, but this was maybe 20 years ago. And so pens were where watches are now. And the idea was, well, what do you need a writing instrument for, right? You're going to type everything on your computer. You're going to send emails and text messages and things of that nature. Who really sits down and drafts a letter with a fine pen? And why can't you just use a BIC for 29 cents? What do you need it with a multi-hundred dollar writing instrument? And the idea was the deceleration of life, meaning to slow down and go back to what was old is now new again and to enjoy the actual process of writing a letter, of putting your thoughts, you know, um, pen to paper and taking the time to, to draft a handwritten note or letter. And the same, I guess, translates here in that, yeah, we don't need the timepiece to tell us the time, but it provides so much more. Well said. It is a deceleration of life. It's going back to what is old is new again. The idea that we look to our wrist, we see something beautiful, something we enjoy, and it also serves a purpose. And you can look at, see what time it is without seeing the notifications on your phone. That's my favorite right. thing. Right. Who wants that all day long, huh? <laughs> Seriously. Hey, you're in Hollywood. I, mean, I love Apple like everybody, but the last thing I want is my wrist chirping at me every time an email or some other notification becomes available. That's right. If Scorsese yeah. was going to make the Feldmar movie, who would play your grandfather, Barney? Who would play your dad? Oh, who my would play goodness. you? I'm so bad. Pitch, pitch me um, the Feldmar so, movie. And who's no Saul? So my dad, my dad was always um, compared to Pacino. Everybody thought he looked like Pacino. Okay. He acted like him. 
and Bruce Springsteen. So figure that one out. He got both of those all the time. Um, and uh, your grandfather? Well, that, that one's harder for me. I'm not really sure on that one. That's a little bit of a head scratcher. And what about you? Oh, boy. I would play me. There we go. <laughs> Writer, director, actor, right. Scott Miller. There you go, right? He's a yeah. hyphenate, ladies and gentlemen. He's a triple threat. And he can sell you a watch. There you go. So, yeah, that would, that's how that would play out. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenges for Feldmar will be over the next 10 to 20 years? Well, do you have a son a great, forcing your I child do, into I the do, business? I, yeah, he, has a, yeah. he has a son. Good. That's, Good. Uh, that's, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, everybody's talking about, you know, the future of retail just in general um, is being questioned. Um, there's also a little bit of a drive in our industry of um, co- direct uh, brand to consumer sales where brands are opening their own retail outlets direct. Although there are negatives to that, you know, you don't have the multi-brand environment where you can compare and uh, customers love that. And, um, you know, when you go into a brand store, you, you know, you got to drink the Kool-Aid there where we give you a little bit more of an unbiased, um, experience. Champagne. But, uh, there is a, there is a trend there. And so we got to watch out for that. Other, I think it's just, you know, is to change, you know, change is, is a, is a, is, is a tough thing for a lot of people. And, um, but if you don't change with the times and you don't, you know, evolve, then you, you know, fall behind and disappear. So we're learning that change is important and we have to, you know, be willing to take that next step and try new things and experiment and move along with the times. Are millennials buying watches in different ways than previous generations? Definitely. There was a time probably in the last three to five years where there were many, many articles being written. Millennials don't wear watches. Millennials don't care. The watches are going to be gone. Nobody cares. And those articles couldn't have been farther from the truth. Uh, it is true that millennials at some point might not be interested, but at some point they do become interested. Uh, and we're finding that the wristwatch is very alive and well, um, or the desire for it at least. Um, even with the help, a lot of people thought you know, that the Apple Watch would be the traditional watch killer um, that would put the industry you know, uh, under. And uh, I looked at it differently. I looked at it from a point of view that if you had somebody who was maybe not wearing a watch and then decided to wear the Apple Watch and got used to having something on their wrist, hmm. but decided that that something shouldn't be beeping and chirping at them all day long. <laughs> right. And then all of a they sudden- have children for that. They re- right. And then they all of a sudden decided or saw a friend or a family member- Or a movie or star. some other figure that they looked up to or a movie star, right? Wearing this beautiful timepiece. They're like, you know what? I love having a watch on my wrist, but not this digital thing, not this- electronic this is a this device. chirping I want beeping a monstrosity you can say it <laughs> right. it's okay <laughs> yeah i want a wristwatch and so boom all of a sudden now those millennials who maybe everybody was suggesting would be just you know device 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 is like i'm good with my device i have it in my pocket and now i'm going to get a watch we can hope they'll be fascinated with the accutron but we would be remiss if we didn't say what else you sell there so give us the whole feldmark sort of rundown as to what brands you represent yeah so i i i don't want to list all the brands because it's literally too many but what feldmar really is known for is being watch specialty store in other words we don't we're not a jewelry store that sells watches we don't carry jewelry we're not jewelers i don't even employ a jeweler to fix jewelry uh, my technicians are watchmakers. 
and we sell watches. And so what we do here is we sell from the very um, simplest watches, starting with like G-Shock, for example, about $100, and we go up from there and we sell to the most exclusive you know, brands and everything in between. And so we kind of, if you want a watch, we, we are going to be able to find the watch for you. It's just that simple. And very shortly, that's going to have the name Accutron on it. Maybe. We're not saying you have to sell just those. Yeah, yeah, no, we won't just sell those, but we are uh, very pleased to be part of the, the relaunch and um, excited for the product. I mean, it, it's already, people are asking, people want it. Yeah, on a very cool, because I've seen it, uh, 60s display. It looks like it came yeah, yeah. right out of Don Draper's office on Mad Men. Absolutely. I yeah. saw it as well. Uh, it's fabulous. The design is so cool. And it's furniture I would almost put in my house other than I don't need a showcase. Uh, 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 we need it in the store, sir. Please leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Accutron Show. And uh, we appreciate learning all about your family, the future perhaps of what's going to happen in the watch world and how you're more involved in it than ever. And stay safe yeah. out there. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for The Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.